Hi, and welcome to the West Visalia Audio Podcast. Each message is designed to help you grow and inspire you to take action. Please take a moment to hit the subscribe button, and don't be shy to drop us a message if you have a question. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Psalm 3 this morning. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and your blessing be on your people. As we wrap up Genesis, well, the first few chapters of Genesis, um, today will be the last day of that. Next week, Cliff will be back in here um, digging into First and Second Timothy. Uh, but as we wrap up Genesis, remind me of what we've talked about so far. Creation. We've talked about creation, and we've looked at creation and how God created this beautiful world, and who's the main benefactor of, of this creation? Man, what else have we looked at and seen? We've looked at the flood, and we're going to finish out the, the story of Noah this morning. Sin. Sin's a big one. And have we just seen sin show up once? No, it's shown up repeated times, and the pattern is fairly similar. Uh, and that pattern is man rises up and determines what is good for himself, uh, and that goes against God's will, God's commands, and as a result, there is punishment associated with them going against God's commands. What was the punishment Adam and Eve received? They were kicked out of the garden. What was the punishment Cain received? Yeah, uh, well, not, that wasn't a punishment. The mark of Cain wasn't a punishment. He was further separated, right? And he would be a fugitive and a wanderer throughout the land. What was the punishment the men of the world received? Okay, yeah, Yvonne brings up the fact that the ground was cursed so that man would work. Uh, but as we looked at the flood account, what was the, the punishment that uh, all men received? Death uh, by the flood, right? Uh, but with each of these accounts uh, of man going against God's will, what else do we see in these accounts? There's a measure of grace, a token of grace, a gift that is given. What was the, the grace offered to Adam and Eve when they were kicked out of the garden? He clothed them. God clothed them. What was the grace given to Cain? He had a mark put on him so that he would be known uh, and, and not be killed. What was the grace given to mankind with the flood? I can't get can't. Build a boat. Is that what you said? Oh, the rainbow. Okay, we'll get to the rainbow today. Uh, but the grace of mankind was that mankind wasn't completely obliterated because there was a, a, a remnant left. Noah and his, how many others? Seven others, right? So a total of eight persons. Um, and then as Bruce brought up, uh, we, we see the rainbow. And so if you would join me in Genesis chapter 9, we'll breeze through chapter 9, but there's a, there's a couple stories in chapter 9 that we need to, I think, flesh out a little bit, and then we'll jump into chapter 11 uh, with the Tower of Babel. Chapter, Genesis chapter 9, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Where else have we seen that 
blessing. Creation. Creation. And so the text has kind of used Noah as a, a Adam 2.0 or, or tries to, to make it look the same. Um, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon the beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be for you. And I gave you the green plants. I give you everything. But you shall not eat the flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man his blood shall be shed. For God made man in his own image. And so we see here that different from the, I don't want to say Adam or Noah as the second Adam, um, because Paul uses that uh, illustration to describe Jesus. But we see that after this recreation event of the flood, Noah is, is given the same blessing that Adam was given, be fruitful and multiply. Um, but where Adam was only eating of the, the vegetables uh, and the fruit, what can Noah eat of? Everything. He can eat meat now, uh, which is wonderful because I, I really enjoy a nice steak, right? Um, but what, what, what do we see in this section? He, he talks about that now everything, I give you everything, animals will be fearful of you. And then he goes into the, the section on, I will require a man the reckoning, a reckoning for the life of man. What's he talking about here in this little poem in verse 6? Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Yeah, yeah, and so he's going in and saying that if if you are to kill a man, and not only a man killing another man, but if an animal kills a man, uh, that they there will be a reckoning required. And and why is a reckoning required? Why does the text tell us there is a reckoning required when a man's life is shed? There, there's life in the blood. Yeah. Uh, what what else? What does the text say? Why specifically is this here? He's made in the image of God. So important is the image of God that when you shed a man's blood, when you shed the life that is in a man's blood, you are our smack, this is Curtis' opinion, but you're smacking God in the face because this is the image of God and you are shedding its blood. And that's why there is a reckoning. Verse 7, and you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. So now God is getting into this covenant. And who is he making this covenant with? Mankind and who else? Sounds like animal kind too. That's what the text says. Uh, verse 11, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. So who is the benefactor? Who is, are, are we benefactors of this covenant today? Yeah, because we're included in that future generations. 
And what is the sign of the covenant? Verse 13, I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So when do we see a rainbow? After the rain, right? Um, after the rain. Because uh, if you go back and, and look at, remember your, your high school physics class, right? Um, the water drop, it becomes a prism that the light goes through and it breaks out into the, the seven. Is it seven? Um, seven different colors, and that's the rainbow that is seen. But we see it today after the rain. After the rain has stopped and the sun is back out, that interaction between the moisture that is left in the air and the sun casts this rainbow. And who does the rainbow remind? It's kind of a weird question. God. God remembers his promise. So when was the last time you guys saw a rainbow? A couple weeks ago? And that, that same rainbow that you saw, John, God saw. And when God saw that rainbow, what did he do? He remembered. He remembered his promise to all mankind and all animal kind that he would, know, he would not again destroy the earth with the flood. What are some other covenants or signs of covenants that, that we've seen throughout the Bible? So we see the rainbow with the Noahic covenant. What was the sign of the covenant God made with Abraham? Circumcision. What's the sign of the covenant that God made with, with uh, the uh, Mosaic law? What was a sign of that covenant? Okay, the blood sprinkled. Uh, the Sabbath, well, the, the text actually describes as a sign of the Mosaic covenant. What's the, the sign of the new covenant today? What's the sign of the covenant that we're under today? Communion. Lord's Supper, Right? Those are the signs of the covenant. And whenever we see a sign of the covenant, what does that do to those underneath that covenant? It reminds them of the covenant that they're in. And so when we partake of the Lord's Supper, what is that designed for us to do? It's to remember the covenant that we entered into with God. And that covenant is, if we believe in Jesus Christ and are baptized under his name, we will be redeemed of our sins. It's a pretty awesome covenant to be a part of. One that we remember every Sunday morning. Any other thoughts before we, we shift gears? Next time you see a rainbow, run outside and smile at it and remember, right? When you, how many of you guys, when you uh, little kids, kids or grandkids, when you see a rainbow, what do you do? You go in and tell them, and what do they do? They run outside all excited. So the next time we see a rainbow, I'm going to tell you, run outside and get all excited and remember the covenant that God made with uh, mankind, with animal kind, to all future generations. All right, verse 18, the sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. So what do we see weird about the text so far? And this is going to introduce a weird story. What jumps out as odd? Okay, so they chose one son to talk about, and who is that? These are the sons of Noah who went forth from the ark, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. Why is Canaan thrown in here? 
Why does the text say Ham was the father of Canaan? Does it go through the, the sons of Japheth? Does it go through the sons of Shem? Why does it throw Canaan out? Okay, and that brings up there's a lot of trouble that came from the Canaanites. And so we're going to look at, at Canaan specifically uh, and look at the text and see what the text tells us. So just remember the text is telling us here that there's something weird about Ham and Canaan. Verse 20, Noah began to be a man of the soil and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. In his tent, excuse me. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both of their shoulders, and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backwards, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants he shall be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord of the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, but let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. So we saw that the text told us that, that Ham, Ham was the father of Canaan. And then what else does the text tell us about Ham? Yeah, he saw his father naked, right? And so well, take a step back and then we'll, 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 we'll dig into the nakedness of Noah um, here shortly. But we've already seen uh, the pattern through Genesis. We saw creation. We saw sin introduce chaos. We see God Blank in the slate, going right back to the waters, right? And then we see this recreation. And who was the one that was re, uh, presiding through the recreation? Noah. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did they become aware of? Nakedness. Now, when Noah uh, drinks of the wine and gets drunk, what does the story discuss? Nakedness. Uh, Adam and Eve, God covered them, or they covered themselves with fig leaves, right? And then God comes back and covers them with animal skins. What happens to Noah's nakedness? It gets covered. So do you see the, the patterns here? There's something together, and I'll be honest, I don't understand what all uh, those connections are, but the things that we're going to look at today, and the question that I think the text is asking of us is, that's an H, I wanted a W. What was the sin of Ham? And the second question, who was cursed? Canaan. Canaan was cursed. So why was, I always spell his name wrong, Canaan cursed? So those are the two questions that I think the text um, describes a little bit, but it's something that we it doesn't jump out to us today. Um, so if you remember back a few weeks ago, we discussed that we want to read Genesis like a Hubble telescope, right? Where we want to see resolution scientific document. We want it to understand without having to uh, put ourselves in the mindset of the Israelites. Um, but in, real or in reality, sometimes Genesis comes across as like Van Gogh's Starry Night, where they're both depicting the space and the sky, but it comes across as different. Um, if I were to say it is raining cats and dogs, what would you think? It's raining pretty hard. If someone is a non-English speaker and we told them it's raining cats and dogs, what would they think? 
that someone is upstairs throwing cats and dogs off the balcony, right? Um, and so we have different idioms. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is, is this an idiom? And we're going to spend a lot of time talking about Noah's nakedness. What, uh, let, let me ask, open it up. Uh, what, what have you heard is the nakedness of Noah? What, what happened here? There are no wrong answers. What is the story saying happened? Noah got drunk um, and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham went in and saw the nakedness of his father. Noah's passed out drunk, buck naked inside his tent, and Ham is making fun of him. Have we, have we heard that? Yeah. Well, has, any heard, has anyone heard alternative explanations to what's going on here? Greg. Uh, and we're going to look at that shame aspect, a big time. Um, has anyone heard alternative uh, explanations as to, to what is happening here? So there are generally, like, Four main thoughts when it comes to this. The first one is like Mark was discussing, that Noah uh, was passed out drunk and his, his son saw him naked and made fun of him. Um, and that, that is gathered from um, Shem and Jepheth, or, or Shem and Jepheth, uh, that he went out and told them. Uh, when you look through Leviticus, um, and, and it describes in Leviticus chapter 20 and Leviticus chapter 18, uh, go ahead and turn there if you would. And, and we're going to look at what nakedness means um, from the text. Leviticus chapter 20, and we will start in, should have just wrote it down up there. Leviticus chapter 20, 17 through 21. Leviticus chapter 20, 17 through 21, and specifically we'll look at verse 20 and verse 21. Leviticus chapter 17, or uh, chapter 20. Verse 17, if a man takes his sister, a daughter of his father or a daughter of his mother, and sees her nakedness, and she sees his nakedness, it is a disgrace, and they shall be cut off in the sight of the children of their people. He has uncovered his sister's nakedness, and he shall bear his iniquity. So we see here in verse 17 that there is a connection with seeing nakedness equals uncovering one's nakedness. Verse 18, if a man lies with a woman during her menstrual period and uncovers her nakedness, he has made uh, naked her fountain and she has uncovered the fountain of her blood. Both of them shall be cut off from among their people. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister or of your father's sister, for that is to make naked one's relative and they shall bear their iniquity. Let me back up a little bit. Verse 18 tells us that when we see one's nakedness is to what? Verse 18 tells us, when you see their nakedness, when you uncover their nakedness, it is a result of lying with them, right? I don't know if that's the right lie. Um, but uh, it's to, to sleep with them. Verse, nine, or verse 20, if a man lies with his uncle's wife, he has uncovered his uncle's nakedness. They shall bear their sin. They shall die childless. If a man takes his brother's wife, it is impurity. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness, and they shall be childless. Uh, and if we look at uh, Leviticus chapter 18, we'll see the same uh, illustrations. When the term nakedness is described, what is the connotation? What is it associated with? A sexual act. 
So I have heard before that when Ham uncovered Noah's nakedness, uh, it's a reference to a homosexual act, so a homosexual incest, where, where Ham went in and did something to his father. Um, I don't think that's what happened. But I think that there's still sexual sin associated with this right here. Jump to Leviticus chapter 18 with me real quick. Leviticus 18, verses 6 through 10. None of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncovered nakedness. I am the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother, and you shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is your father's nakedness. You shall not <clears throat> excuse me, uncover the nakedness of your sister, your father's daughter, or your mother's daughter, whether brought up in the family or in another home. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your son's daughter or of your daughter's daughter, for their nakedness is your own nakedness. So when we see throughout the Levitical law, there are sexual laws uh, that you will not do this. You shall not do this. When we see Ham uncovering Noah's nakedness, what is the text telling us happened? He slept with his mother. The text tells us that Noah slept with his mother. Why was Canaan cursed? Why did the text focus on Ham, the father of Canaan? Why was Canaan cursed? So the thought process is from Hebrew scholars that Canaan was the result of the incestual relationship between Ham and his wife, or Ham and his mother. And as Bev pointed out earlier, Canaanites had a history of sexually enticing the people of Israel. When we go back and Moses is retelling this story, he's bringing up how Canaan was brought into this world. Jump back, and if you're still in Leviticus, look at verse 3. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. So when Moses is bringing out this aspect of the law in Leviticus chapter 18, he specifically says, don't act like they do in Egypt, don't act like they do in Canaan. The last time we saw, or the first time we see Canaan come up is in Leviticus chapter 18, and there's a connection with Ham, the father of Canaan. There's a connection with Ham uncovering his mother, or his father's nakedness. And we see throughout Leviticus that when a man uncovers another man's nakedness, it is when he's sleeping with his wife. The reason I don't think it's a homosexual act is because anytime a homosexual act is described, the term unnatural is associated with it, for it is an abomination. And we don't see that when it comes, comes to this. Uh, in about 10 chapters after this aspect of Canaan, um, we see uh, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot and his two daughters go up in a cave and they believe they're the last people on earth. What do they do? They get their father drunk and they sleep with him. And the result of, those, of that uh, interaction is, is who? What kind of peoples come as a result of those, of those relations? The Moabites and the Ammonites, right? And so we see Canaanites here. We also see Moabites and Ammonites come from a similar uh, relationship. Now, real quick, I'm going to be running out of time. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 16 with me real quick. Who's the main character throughout Samuel? Who would you say, when you say 2 Samuel, who's the story most likely discussing? 
David, most likely discussing David. And so once David was king, we see in chapter 16, um, starting in verse 15, David has a son, and his favorite son who had really bad hair, right? Why does, why does Absalom have bad hair? Anyone know? He got caught in a tree. All right. Now Absalom, uh, 2 Samuel 16, verse 15. Now Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem and Athiopel with him. When, the Hushai, uh, when Hushai the Archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, Hushai said to Absalom, long live the king, long live the king. So who is this guy saying it to? He's saying to Absalom, long live the king. And Absalom said to Hushai, is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, no, for whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel has chosen, I will be, I will be, and with him I will remain. And again, whom shall I serve? Should it not be his sons? As I have served your father, so I will serve you. Then Absalom said to uh, Ithopel, give your counsel. What shall we do? So Absalom has, is, is in the middle of a coup. And what is he trying to take over? He's trying to take the throne away from his father, David. And so this guy is coming and saying, long live the king, long live the king. And now David is going to his advisor, excuse me, Absalom is going to his advisor and asking for counsel. And if you jump down to verse 23 of the Ithopel, um, he gave was one who has consulted the word of God. So all the counsel of Ithopel was esteemed both by David and Absalom. So he went to this guy who generally gave pretty good counsel. And he is in the middle of taking over his father's kingdom, and he says, what do I need to do? Verse 21, And Ithopol said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father, and the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. And when a man goes in and uncovers the nakedness, or sleeps with his father's wife, it's uncovering his father's nakedness. Why was Absalom doing that? To take over and to bring shame upon his father. In that culture, shame, honor and shame were everything. Honor and shame were absolutely everything. And this was a disgrace. This is a smear across David's face is Absalom uncovering his nakedness. Shift back to Ham. Ham, we see, uncovered his father's nakedness. And we see that the text tells us that the result of that was Canaan. So why would Ham, what would motivate Ham to uncover his father's nakedness and then brag about it to his brothers? If Ham could, if Ham could impregnate his mother, the child of that offspring would help displace everything else that uh, Noah had done and would allow Ham to take over and, and reign essentially as king. Does that make sense? Because uh, it really doesn't for me. Um, but that's, the, that's the, the Hebrew culture. It's the same thing that what Absalom did uh, or attempted to do before um, the coup was ended by God. Uh, it's the same thing that Ham is trying to do here. Yeah, and so Bev brings up, it's a bit of a stretch, and, and that's fine. Um, uh, dig into this. Um, the other text to look at is Deuteronomy um, chapter 27, verse 20. Um, and this is like the, the ultimate slap in the face, the ultimate disrespect, and it is a bit of a stretch. Um, but we, we need to, to, to dig, and I encourage you to dig in and look at this. 
And regardless of, of, of the, the nakedness, the fact that, that Ham stepped up and did something he should not have done, it brought shame to his father's household. He bragged about it to his brothers, and Noah comes back and curses not Ham, Noah curses Canaan. And what is the curse of Canaan? A servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. Let Canaan be the servant of Shem, and let Canaan be the servant of um, Japheth. Big deal. He was knocked down. Noah curses him to where he cannot step up and, and take a leadership role amongst the family of Noah. Other thoughts or questions? I know I dropped a big old bomb on you guys this morning. Um, but it's important for us to, to look at the text and allow the text to tell us uh, what, what it sees. Because I think it's more, the text is telling us that it's more than just he stumbled upon his dad naked um, and was making fun of him. Uh, there's something more to that, the way that the text sees it. The other thing, I'll get you in a minute, Bruce. The other thing to, to remember is chapter 9 is not necessarily a chronology. It's to get the point across, to get the story across. And we see that because, um, uh, go back to Cain and Abel. It, descri- it discusses that Abel was born, or Cain was born, and then Abel was born, and then the immediate next thing, what happens? They're old enough to be offering sacrifice. And so there's a lot of time that is covered between these verses. And so that, that, that plays in here that this event, these few verses are covering. 20, 30 years, 20 or 30 years. Bruce, you have a comment? Yeah. Yeah, and, and so throughout Leviticus, and Bruce brings up uh, verse 11, um, throughout, it's when a man sleeps with his father's wife, he uncovers his father's nakedness. Um, the, other, the other thoughts, I, I discussed two of them. Um, the other thoughts is that this is describing castration, uh, that Ham went in and castrated his father so that his father could not have any more children. Um, and if you're doing that, that means that you get a bigger piece of the inheritance pie, um, because you're not having to divide it up between other brothers. Um, the other thought is, um, all right, so making fun of uh, the, the homosexual violation, uh, the, the uh, heterosexual violation, uh, and then the castration. Those are generally main, main four thoughts. Um, let's jump ahead, if you would. Um, in chapter 10, we're going to shift gears here. In chapter 10, it goes down through and it describes the, the descendants of Noah. And it just brings us back, it reorients us back with that phrase that we've seen throughout um, Genesis already, that these are the generations. And so it's kind of going off uh, and discussing um, Canaan uh, and what happened there in the curse. And then it brings us back to the storyline. These are the generations of the sons of Noah. And it goes all the way through, and I'm sorry for taking a big old jump there. But let's go ahead and jump here to verse or to chapter 11. Chapter 11. Now the whole earth had one language in the same words. And as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Real, real quick, real quick pause. Uh, there are only two times throughout the Bible where it describes how someone makes bricks. The first one is here, and they made these bricks and burnt them thoroughly. Uh, any guesses on the other time we see a description on how bricks were made? Yeah, Don, slavery in Egypt. In Exodus chapter 5, it's describing how the Israelites made their bricks there. And, and so, again, the, the text will give us these little indicators to think about. 
And the text here says that there's they, they made bricks and they burnt them thoroughly with stone, or um, thoroughly, they burned them thoroughly through. It's very concise. Everything that is in here is in here for a purpose. And I think that purpose is to call us back to the same bricks that the Israelites made. Because when is Moses most likely writing this down and, and telling this story? As the people have already left Egypt and are either wandering through the desert or in Mount Sinai somehow, they've already left Egypt. They're familiar with how they made bricks. And here, in discussing this event in chapter 11, he's describing how they made bricks. Verse 4, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the whole face of the earth. So, we talked, we're, we're told how they're making their bricks, and then what's the purpose of them making bricks? Why are they making bricks? To build a tower, a tower of Babel. Verse six, and the Lord, uh, verse five, excuse me, and the Lord came down. So this is interesting. Um, I, I think uh, Ian Linehan uh, brought this out. Uh, they wanted to build this tower to go up to the heavens, right? What did God do in verse five? He came down. Uh, so it's kind of kind of a little interesting, a little play there. Uh, and the Lord God, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is the only beginning of what they will do, and nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. That's a pretty big compliment. For, the God, for, for God to say that man can do anything that he, think he wants to do, that's a big compliment. Verse 7, Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. This is the same pattern that we have seen going back to Adam and Eve. When man determines what is good for themselves, they take action upon it. What in, what in this Tower of Babel, what did man determine to do? What did man determine what was good? To build a tower to heaven. That's what they decided to do. And as a result, what did God do? Yeah, they, they, he mixed up their language, and what else did he do? <laughs> Disperse them all over the face of the world. In the other accounts, and I know uh, I, I'm, we haven't finished chapter 11, um, but in the other accounts of man rising up and determining what is good for themselves and God casting his judgment, we're seeing a token of grace. In the Tower of Babel, where is the token of grace? When man is dispersed throughout all the world, what is the token of grace? Someone with confidence. It's better than death, yeah? What's the purpose of the Tower of Babel being here? Or this story? Someone go to chapter 12. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. And who is introduced? We're not introduced. But who does the story start focusing on in chapter 12? Abram. Abram. So man determines what's good for themselves. Man builds this tower. God says, let's go down there. And uh-oh, hey, you know, these guys, they're pretty crafty. They can do a lot of things. Nothing, uh, or they can do anything they set their mind to. 
boom, disperse them. And so we see God's judgment dispersing them. And then the next guy that sets on the stage is Abram. And so the token of grace, uh, I argue, uh, is Abram and the Abrahamic covenant that we're going to see and the blessing that God promises Abraham. And what is the blessing that God promises Abraham? In your seed, all nations will be blessed. So Yvonne asks the question, um, and it doesn't have to do with the Tower of Babel, so I'm going to say, uh, we're going to give it to that later. No, I'm joking. Uh, so Yvonne asks the question, do, we, do I think that what is happening today, God is allowing to have happen? Um, what was the end of the question? Because there's so much evil. Um, this is uh, my opinion, and I don't have very many gray hairs, so I'm probably not able to answer this question, so I'll, I will say it. I think what is happening today is the same thing that happened 10 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 300 years ago, 600 years ago. The same thing that's happening today has happened forever. The difference is we have news real time, and we're aware of so many things that are happening. Uh, 100 years ago, so there, there was something that was horrible, absolutely horrible that happened in Uvalde, Texas. 100 years ago, would we have ever known about it? We may have caught a glimpse of it in a newspaper somewhere, but we would have never known about it. 200 years ago, definitely we would not have known about it. 500 years ago, yeah, not a chance. Uh, what's happening in Russia and Ukraine, would we have ever known about that? No. And so I think that the, the same atrocities that are happening today have always happened. Uh, they We're just aware of it. And whenever something horrific happens, uh, I think that the, Peter discusses this, um, in times of suffering, it, it points us to who? points us to Jesus and points us to, to the complete difference, the stark contrast that this world presents versus what God presents. And it's the, the same thing. I, I think we can probably end on that. That was a good question, a good segue. Yeah. And, and so Yvonne brings up that the people don't care about God anymore. And we just covered 13 weeks, uh, or mostly of the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Did people care about God in the beginning? No. Did people care about God after they got kicked out of the garden? No. Did people care about God before the flood? No. Did people care about God after the flood? No. But there is also always this small remnant of people, and the small remnant of people do care about God. That small remnant of people do follow his commands. Why was Noah a righteous man? Because he followed God's commands. He did all that God commanded him. And so we will always be spread out in a world of, of wickedness. Um, but if we walk on that, that, that path, that narrow path, um, we'll be okay. And our goal, our mission is to go out in all the world to preach the gospel and, and, and show others that the world is wicked, the world's ways are wicked, and the only hope we have is through Jesus and what he's done for us. Bev. Yeah, and, and so when the, the, the and that's what, there, there's a lot of speculation on, on how peoples migrated throughout the world. Um, um, the, the, the science of the day has a general consensus that, that um, man uh, evolved in the, um, Africa, Ethiopia uh, Valley there, and then branched out and spread around. Uh, we see that, that the text, that what Moses tells us through inspiration is that God is the reason why man is all over the place. And it's interesting, we didn't have time to dig into it today, um, but if you get bored, um, look up Deuteronomy chapter 32, uh, verses 8 and 9, because there's a connection to um, people being spread and people being dispersed. And there's uh, that, that little um, statement that we talked about a couple weeks ago, the sons of God is brought up in Deuteronomy chapter 32. Uh, the last thing I want to mention before our time is up, we call it the Tower of Babel. What should we call it? 
The Tower of Babylon. Thank you. This is the only place where that word is translated Babel and not Babylon. Um, and throughout text, throughout scripture, is Babylon seen in a good light? No. Revelation describes Babylon as the, the what is it, the, the prostitute, the whore of Babylon? Um, big, bad people. Uh, Rome is described as Babylon, and well, I think Peter describes the church in Babylon. Um, Babylon it has historically gone against God's people and against the will of God. Um, and this was the Tower of Babylon. This is the Tower of no good, and the result is man was dispersed. So next time you, you read the Tower of Babel, add the Elan to the end of it, uh, because it should trigger our thoughts. And Babylon was the capital of what country? Assyria, also known as Nineveh, right? Or am I, did I just completely derail myself? I'm looking at Garrett to bail me out. Um, But Babylon, Nineveh, uh, Assyria, all those are are bad in the history of God's people, right? And it started back here in Genesis chapter uh, 11. But we're we're out of time. Uh, I hope this quarter has, has challenged us. Um, I hope this quarter has said uh, you're absolutely crazy um, and force you to dig in and, and read in and study for yourself because ultimately that's, that's the goal for all of us is don't take the teacher's word for it. Do what the Bereans did. Dig in and understand for yourself. Um, we'll end with a, with a quick prayer and then we'll have a pause before our worship time if you bow with me. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for Jesus and what he's done for us. And we pray, Father, that we can become better students of the word and, and dig in uh, with humility, Father, to see what your will is for us. We're so incredibly uh, humbled uh, and appreciative for what uh, Jesus has done for us, Father. And we pray that we can uh, grow closer to him today and encourage others to do the same. This prayer we ask through his beautiful name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to West Visalia Audio. We hope these messages have helped you grow and inspired you to take action. Be sure to check in each week for more on-the-go content or visit our YouTube channel to watch the live video. Thanks for participating and God bless.